We're slovenly, we're feelingy, we're really kinda dumb. We're Terry, Shar, and Lissa, all here to have some fun. So guard your holes, let's make some rolls and talk some D&D with the cave troll. Like making it up to you and being very transparent about it. Spirit! Absolutely the fuck not. Yeah, Spirit Absolutely I know is shitty. I've flown not. Spirit really pretty cheap. I, I think I flew Delta once back in the day, and I think that mm-hmm. was the one where I got I got uh bumped up to business class. Oh and I was like, Oh look at this, it's so fancy. And it was purely it was like I don't know how it worked out, but it is because I yeah. missed my flight. I was running late. And oh, so they put me wow. on a standby and it didn't cost yeah. me any extra money and I got a better seat. I just had to right. spend the night basically in some flyover state <laughs> like i, I, I don't uh-huh, remember what it, I, think uh-huh. it, I think it might have been montana like i was i was flying from Florida <laughs> yeah to one Michigan, of the random ones but yeah. i had but to get there after this whole standby and missing my flight thing i had to do a connecting flight like through the middle of the country <laughs> Right, right, yeah. I fucking, I hate planes. I hate all of it. No, it's, I mean, I'm not, I don't mind it as much if it goes well. But um, if it doesn't, that, like, which happens very often. Usually, like, it's safe and fine, but then, like, stuff like this happens. And especially, apparently, like, it's just been a shit show since the pandemic. So I was keenly, this is the first time I've flown since the pandemic. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm keenly aware of all of the problems now because, they canceled my flight like three hours before it was supposed to take off, which thankfully we hadn't left for the airport yet, but that happened. Um, and then they didn't have any new flights for two and a half days. Oh. And like I, in order, if I w- wanted to get home like that day or the next day, I would have had to fork over $1,500 yeah. one way. And that is obviously not doable for most people i mean i just i love our country that's all (laughs) i love i love private businesses i love uh air airlines that are not spirit i've never had a problem with delta i will be a delta stand for the entire rest of my life spirit the first one time i flew with them bad experience but at least i didn't lose my bags i was i was bracing for that because i've heard horror stories of that too Oh, yeah. But thankfully, Listen, that did not happen. You don't happen. need your stuff. Like, if airlines have taught me anything, <laughs> that's theirs now. And if they give it yeah. back to you, you should feel special. But uh, yeah. enough about flights. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Cave Trolls Podcast. My name is Terry Smith. And with me, as always, is one half of the Slovenly Trolls Charday. Hello. <laughs> yes. Hi. So, I'm back. I love the energy. It's so strong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, last Listen, week, if you I'm don't tired. know, if you uh, to catch you up last time on Charday, uh, <laughs> previously on, on Cave Trolls, <laughs> Charday was off fighting, uh, you know, aliens on another planet in Hala. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, me and Lissa were having fun hanging out here by ourselves. And then this week, <laughs> you're here and Lissa's yeah. gone uh, yeah. to an office party, only... of all things. Yeah. Like, who you can only that? have one of us at a time. Yeah. That's okay. Just uh, it's really good one-on-one time, you know. Uh, <laughs> the thing that I love uh, doing, socializing. So, 
<laughs> you sound just absolutely <laughs> chuffed. <laughs> so a little bit of housekeeping. I mean, I do. I'm I sound sarcastic, but I but I do Aww. a little bit of housekeeping. So we got a little bit of an ad coming up about my comic book. But this week, forget all of that stuff. We have a few games and bits and bobs, and then we're doing another DMGM spectacular. Where we're just going to talk about world building. So without Whoop. further ado, let's get into the bits and bobs section. This is where we talk about all the new games and supplements that are coming out to a table near you first up we have nexalis adventure in wonder through a bright fantasy world of a thousand isles adventure in wonder nexalis uh this is a kickstarter campaign it's got 30 days left it's a little over uh 70 percent to their goal uh somebody sent this i believe from our community uh it just popped up on my my little Discord search. Do you know nice. who put this in the chat, Shardae? Was that you? Might have been Lissa. No, probably Lissa. Lissa runs the Twitter, so um, she she's the one who usually is uh, caught up on all of the happenings on the community on Twitter. Plus, I've been <laughs> off Twitter for like a week, so I have no idea. <laughs> Well, Nexalis is a pretty cool thing. It's kind of, uh, they're calling it Bright Fantasy, and it oh. kind of spans an entire universe, so you're setting sail, kind of uh, world building and traveling in the setting. It's a pretty interesting uh, book when it comes to what they're offering, and on top of that, uh, they have a free demo, which is something that I don't normally see, which is what caught my eye when it got sent to me, I think like a week ago now. I'm uh, trying to remember everything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember not, I don't, you don't see a lot of free demos. Every once in a while, you'll no. see like a rules light pack if they're doing their own system or a small little like setting primer. But uh, this one has a little bit of both. So it uses a 2D6 system. And uh, sorry, um, I might cut out there. So it uses a 2D6 <laughs> system. Um, and it has most of the details you need to get started to play in the demo. As well mm-hmm. as like a little adventure hook. Uh, what do you think? And after you kind of check this out, I I like the ambiance and the vibes. I think it's, <laughs> I'm I'm a little conf- like it, it looks like a, a hybrid of sci-fi and fantasy, which yeah. is always intriguing to it's me. Got, like like that it's trying to marry. Yeah, yeah. Like it has magic, but it also like a lot of the vibes, at least presented in the Kickstarter, are very sci-fi esque. So I'm wondering, like, how heavily they lean into that, or if that's just an aesthetic choice. <laughs> it, it could be, and like, uh, they're they're kind of truncating this campaign. So we've talked about the difficulties of being in sort of some like uh, print cycle of you kickstart mm-hmm. your game, then can you afford to make your next game? Because it's not really Kickstarter. You never na- make enough mm-hmm. money to keep it going. You make enough money to sell that one product, and they have to go. So they've kind of paired this back with Crowdfunder, which uh, I've noticed kind of a trend on Crowdfunder. So here's the money for the PDF. We'll give you a coupon for the physical mm-hmm. edition, and it won't launch mm-hmm. until after the campaign is done. Um, Mm -hmm. This ensures that everybody gets a copy of their game. They don't uh, overextend themselves and trying to make sure the print thing is ready to go for the very end of the crowdfunding campaign. Um, So it's kind of a neat little thing that they're trying to do. I appreciate that because you see a lot of crowdfunder um, and just, you know, crowdfunding in general kind of fall down when they get to the physical release of the game. Um, Mm -hmm. that's such a difficult thing to do. I'm actually in a similar circumstance right now, not failing, just like trying to find a printer, trying to make the budget and figure out what it costs, who will print this product. So it's smart that they're kind of, uh, paring it down. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the actual game for Nexalis, it's 150 page, fully colored, um, totally hyperlinked and bookmarked PDF. So like they put all like even though it's just a PDF, they put the love and care into making sure it works. You'd be surprised how many PDFs um, you can't even highlight the text. <laughs> like it's just like an image file yeah. all the way down. Um, it's got playbooks similar to Powered by the Apocalypse, um, but like you can uh, uh, print the trifold playbook so you're you're ready to go if if you're going with the fully digital set. Um, and like I said, it's got the coupon for, for the book if you want to do the paperback or hardcover. Um, but I, I, we could go on and on about the game. I think it's just really interesting when it comes to like a crowdfunding platform that they're, they're trying to change the way they do it. So long you would see these Kickstarters for these RPGs and they would all be kind of cookie cutter. Like here's the book and then here's the physical edition and we have 5,000 pages or we have two. And this middle ground mm-hmm. of being 150 pages, but a full game system inspired by a couple of different uh, settings and a couple of different systems and kind of made from the ground up, it seems, for Kickstarter slash crowdfunder slash, you know, you know, crowdfunding in general. Um, that part has me kind of impressed. I don't see a lot of that, uh, like going, Hey, this is going to be for a kickstarting uh, platform. Let's build it for that. Have you seen any that you think like utilize it on this level? I mean, I'm not, I'm far from a Kickstarter Mm -hmm. uh, aficionado. (laughs) So I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, like it, it seems like it's, it's like, I mean, you explained it pretty well. I don't really have anything else to add. I think, (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I think it's, I I think it's using that very well. And I don't, I see like the tier systems a lot in Kickstarters. Like I see just like, if we reach like this goal and then like after that, they have the stretch goals and that's kind of the most common I see. So in it seems like it's attacking attacking is not the right word but like it seems like it's approaching it from a different angle that still really works for a kickstarter type campaign or crowdfunder in this case yeah like but like the minimalist of of having we have one tier you can get the pdf like we're not fucking around we just need to get this funded yeah i think it goes a long way for a new game new system because while i love that i know a lot of people that just don't do it they don't they're not going to jump into a new ip with a new system um, from somebody they haven't heard of, but uh, the team mm-hmm. over there, um, Cesar Capacol, uh, is a Brazilian tabletop game designer currently based in uh, Madeira Island. Uh, they've won a ton of awards uh, from tabletop awards, crit awards. Um, they won a couple of like RPG challenges. They've been featured on Dicebreaker. Like it's it looks like it's gotten um, enough attention. Plus, the creator seems to have done their legwork. So. I don't mind yeah. backing this. I've only done two other campaigns on Crowdfunder, though, so I can't mm. 100% go, oh, check this out over there. I don't know how good of a platform it is. Yeah. Um, I, I always hesitate where I'm like, hey, Kickstarter is a known quantity. It's got its issues, but people understand it. Um, yeah. I'm doing a comic book right now on Zoop. Again, you'll hear about it later. And trying to explain to people what Zoop is. <laughs> They're like, what the fuck Yeah, is it's hard. <laughs> They're like, is, I, I, am, I, am I okay to give them my credit card? Because people are like, if it's not Amazon or... Sounds like an MLM. You know, exactly, right? Like, when you, when you 
there was a small window where people were really bad with their credit cards online and would go to any site. And oh, then, yeah, for and then sure. it was like, no, I only shop at Amazon because I know they're safe. And now, it like, you know, as we're starting to spread out again, it's awesome because you have smaller businesses working online that's not just on Etsy. But people are like, still have that fear of, is this a safe place for me to shop on the internet? So, yeah. uh, I can't speak for Crown Butter. It seems legit. My stuff was not taken the last two times I used them, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on on that bummer note, I apologize. Um, Space and Monsters, a tabletop RPG and comic. That's why um, I heard about this game. A new psychedelic TTRPG for weirdos and psychonauts. Um, Comes with a full comic book if you back it over on Kickstarter. (laughs) I guess known quantity. Um it's very Adult Swim animation style um, game. It's uh, fully sci-fi, um, but it has like some fantasy elements. So, you, like the different classes, you have the metalhead, which is like you know full Terminator robot, but then you have elves and witches. Um, it, it's it's pretty cool. It's I, again the Adult Swim aesthetic is really neat. Um, that's why I was really interested in it. Uh, the comic book I can't account for. Like I haven't seen a copy of it at all. But you know I love comics. That was a big part of. Oh, I want to go check this out. Um, the thing that I want to get to before we go further into the game is that it doesn't look like this is going to hit its goal. It's only got you know five or six days left. By the time you're hearing this, probably only a day or two. So if you really mm-hmm. like this, you know, go throw your money at it. Um, but take it with a grain of salt that it might not hit its goal. Um, I think it's only a little over a thousand and I think they were aiming for 15 grand, um, which is Mm -hmm. a lot, uh, for, for, a uh, a product like this, trying to hit that goal. It's pretty lofty. Um, Mm -hmm. but they're trying to do both. Comic books are not cheap to make as you've heard me talk about on here. Um, it's not a, it's not like it's a five E system. This is a D 12 system, um, with a really specific niche, uh, aesthetic, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's got that adventure time, you know, uh, VA type art style. Like it's, it's, it's really doing its own thing. Uh, but if you like sci-fi, you're looking for a new game, you like comic books, you like that kind of adult swim cartoon network art style. I would, I would recommend this, but, uh, just don't be too disappointed if you give them your 15 bucks and you get it back in a couple weeks. Um, Char, is this doing anything for you as you check it out? I mean, I we've covered this before, and I think I've said all I wanted to say about mm-hmm. it then, but I'm just, I am sad that it's not, like, doing super, like, it's not even, like, halfway. It's, like, barely made a dip in any of the Kickstarters, which we've seen before. before. I thought so. I thought yeah. we might have. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah, I, it, I recognize the art right away. Yeah. <laughs> but it just we've covered stuff on here before that hasn't met its goal and it's always sad to see it's not surprising sometimes because yeah it is a loftier goal or maybe it's it's just not getting the promotion it needs or maybe it just hasn't like there is an audience for this obviously but maybe it just didn't find enough of that audience right away so i don't think i don't think it's going to be the last time we're seeing it because it seems like this is a project that really knows what it is Mm -hmm. and is 
I hope like just gonna come back stronger than ever because like it'd be such a shame to have all of this awesome work go to waste and I don't think it will I think it'll be back 100% the the thing that people kind of forget especially if you're gonna do a physical media thing I bet a large portion of their cost is that comic book comic books are so expensive to print like Mm -hmm. and so are I mean just RPG books are expensive to print too um both print similar to textbooks um and like so if you were go to a printer they would do it on that style the difference is for um doing something like a textbook uh you can do perfect binding uh like you would like a, a normal book or a graphic novel uh but for comic books printers if they're not set up to do a pamphlet style or a comic book style mm. they have to like shut down what they're doing to do it um and a lot of printers what they do is like they don't even do the comic book themselves they'll go to a a place that is like specializes in doing that style with like the stapling and printing several different comic books at one time and they'll get it at cost as kind of like a deal between printers and then charge you just a tiny little bit and make a small margin uh because if you're not specialized in it it costs a lot of time labor and effort to make Mm -hmm. a comic book so i can't imagine that that was a cheap portion of their project you know what i mean yeah yeah uh so which kind of sucks and if you're paying artists like art is so expensive to put on every other page of a ttrpg Mm -hmm. book let alone every single page of a comic Mm -hmm. book unless you're doing the art yourself so super cool i love to see it 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 got my attention but Like, that makes the project infinitely more expensive. <laughs> like, it does. Uh, yeah. But but go check that out if you're interested. Please let me know if you ended up backing it, if it makes it. I'm going to reach out to the creator because it was such a cool idea. And similar to like what we did with, um, what was the name of that Feywild game that didn't hit their original oh, goal? God, I, I'm awful with names. I know exactly I, what you're yes, talking about. Yes, I do too. I can but picture I, it, but I can't really. <laughs> but, like, the point I was... I picture is, it. Yeah, we've plugged it a few times. We're going to keep them updated. So if they don't hit their goal, we'll we'll follow it and see what kind of shape it takes as they go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, another down note. Let's talk about something God good here it. in a second. Let's, uh, <laughs> moving on, this, one, this story comes from Dicebreaker, uh, who did this one. Chase Carter did a little write-up about a thousand-year-old vampire RPG adaptation adds keepsake creation and collaborative play. Nothing better than suffering the curse of eternity with your closest friends. Um, a 500-year-old vampire is the name of the game. One of the principal takeaways from Tim Hutchins' classic solo table RPG, Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, is that immortality can be devastatingly lonely. A new twist on that formula is, uh, in the form of 500-year-old vampire contests that a blood-sucking monster's misery might not be, uh, solved by company, but at least you watch each other's former communities <laughs> slowly bleed away. That so right on a happy note. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I thought it'd be happy. Right? <laughs> I feel like we should have known. Like, of course not. That's three. That's three sad things. Oh, man. Uh, 500-year-old vampires, the creation of Jason Cox, PhD, and artist Jabari Weathers, who published the collaborative tabletop RPG through the Central Michigan University Press. Shout out to Michigan. Uh, we have a few friends that went to Central, the same academic outlet responsible for Rising Waters. As such, this is a game that was designed to play as well with three to five people around the kitchen table as it does in the classroom or at a convention which is pretty
pretty neat. Um, each session of 500-year-old vampire is structured as a convocation between the members of a coven, night-roaming creatures of myth who gathered every so often to recount their lives through letters and personally mm. crafted trinkets. The player-controlled vampires expressly use the time to cling tightly to whatever shreds of their former mortal lives are left to them, but the exercise is always in vain. Um, that part Ooh. sounds cool. I love the group storytelling. Um, yeah. Me, me and a buddy of mine are working on a game that's really, really similar. Uh, you know, less like dice driven and more of like, hey, let's each take turns kind of improving a story. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I really, really like where this is going. Did you see that Tilda Swinton? Um, uh, no, I know what you're talking about, though. It's yeah. giving me a lot of vibes oh. of that vampire film. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, I, I really like that idea. I like the storytelling aspect. Uh, you know that like I've talked about a couple of those games on here. Um, RPG mm. might be a strong word for them, uh, but mm. I, I'm excited for the role playing aspect of the game. Uh, some people get mad. We're like, well, there's no stats. It's not an RPG. Uh, but uh, you're wrong. And uh, go check this out. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how much it costs. I went to went to the sign up place for it, uh, but I'm not really sure how to um, sign up because it's not quite out yet to be funded. So yeah. uh, it's like in 25 days you can sign up like their little notification and they'll give you details. So uh, go go check that out. Uh, 500 year old vampire. Uh, that's it for bits and bobs. So we're gonna talk about some GM spectacular. Uh, Sharday, you're not so much a GM as much as a DM, but you still got to build the worlds, correct? I mean, I run now a fully homebrewed world, yes. Well, look at that. Um, and yeah. we might have talked about this on some of our other, you know, DM specials, but we wanted to kind of just have a conversation on world building. This is probably applicable to most games that you're playing. Um, and I know we've given a few tips here and there about how you build a world. Um, so to get started, let's talk about how you get started. Uh, when you go, Hey, I'm going to start this new campaign. How do you start your world building? What's your first thing that you do? A map. Ooh, that's Always a fun a one. Really? It's fun. Yeah. That That is a blast. What's your, uh, what's your, uh, form what's what, what kind of way do you build the map what's your go-to so i don't use any of the map building tools i'm starting to kind of use them a little bit um but for the current world that i am using in my campaign i did not do that i used fully photoshop because i know photoshop is a program and it is a little bit more intensive it's not really made for map making but i like that because like the uh, I mean, it, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but the, the amount of steps that I have to take to make a map and make it do what I want to do actually causes me to like think way more about the landscape. So it helps me think about, um, well, what kind of region is this? What kind of topography does it have? Where do these mountains go? Can I make these mountains work on this map? No. Is Photoshop going to crash? Okay, awesome. Let's try that again. And like, it gives me a lot of time to just I'm not a geographical person. I am a visual person. So just building the map and putting all of those hours in, just making the world come alive is just part of my creative process for that. And it helps me just like visualize everything and then using Photoshop to do that while they're like things like, what is it called? Incarnate? Inquiry? Yeah, Incarnate's incarnate a good one. I, I've used Incarnate. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So like instead of using one that actually is easier to use, probably, um, <laughs> but I just don't use it. Um, it gives me a lot of time to mull over all of my choices and all of the the different like very niche things I can put onto a map. Yeah, it's smart. You can kind of do both. Like like you said, because like the difficulty, you have to be a little bit more intentional. And because of that, you yeah. have like that meditative moment of like, okay, so I wanted to draw a mountain here. Then you start doing the the building blocks, which is pretty cool. I do, I mean, a couple of similar things, but when like on the map building uh, portion, I've used Incarnate, I've used Campaign Cartographer, um, mm. often Photoshop. I use Clip Studio to draw my comic books, so I draw a lot in that, just if I need to finalize. But when it comes to mm-hmm. just like, what is this map gonna kind of look like? Um, I do a couple of different fun activities. One, if you live in the Midwest or in a place where snow melts. Um, as soon as the season's going to start to change, go take out your camera or your phone if you're not from the 20s. Um, <laughs> and as the snow starts to melt, like grab pictures of it in a parking lot and you have land masses um, from mm-hmm. like the different weird shapes that the snow is melting, um, which is one of my favorite things to do. And then the other one is uh, the beans on a piece of paper and outlining. Oh, them. yeah. Yeah, um, and then that. I'll scan that and, and put it into Photoshop or whatever program I'm doing. But then sometimes, mm-hmm. it, it, like, I'm a little bit more intentional. Like, those are fun for, like, my one-offs or, like, I want to yeah. draw off a set of islands. I tend to just, mm-hmm. you know, draw how I feel, you know, just go in and make the map. But that's usually, mm-hmm. like, step two or three for me. I usually oh. start with a short story. Um mm-hmm. So, like, uh, a narrative, the way that my brain works is usually, like, a story is happening, and I I create the story, and then I fill in the blanks about the setting of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I start to make the map and fill in the blanks there of the whys and hows and whatnots. Uh, But it's Mm -hmm. usually, like, like a story will happen, and I go, okay... Now, what what is the world that that story took place in? Uh, you yeah. know, there, there was a dragon, so I guess there's dragons. You know, uh, that mm-hmm. person had magic, so let's figure out the rules for it. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do after you build your map? Um, after I build the map, I I kind of answer, start answering questions as I go because mm-hmm. as you do that, um, usually maps are broken into like different provinces or like it has different kingdoms or whatever. So by the time I'm done with my map, I've already answered a lot of my own questions of like, okay, who rules this place? What are the factions? How does this land look? What kind of conflicts are within this map? Because I spent so much time on the map. <laughs> so the next one at least for the campaign that i'm currently doing is i start to outline the major conflicts so what is going on in the world what is the world spectrum what is the world state what it what is the most recent conflict that has gone on in this world and how are the players going to interact with it because this is i have a different process from when i'm like writing fantasy stories this is strictly for like D&D so I have to make it way more open ended whereas if it was a story that I was writing just for myself I would make sure that everything is like very particularly picked out and like there is no wiggle room for anything but with D&D you have people interacting with this world you gotta have wiggle room you can't be married to basically anything (laughs) except for like a few major points 
So after I'm done with the map, I'm like, okay, this is the major conflict and this is probably what the players are going to interact with. And these are the motivations for like the people pulling the strings, basically, like the big thing that the players are going to come into conflict with that might be their BBEG or it might not be. But regardless, it's going to be happening around them. Right. That's a really good way to go about it. So you, you, you're answering the questions like kind of preemptively that you know your players are going to ask or seek out yeah. in the game. I do I do the similar thing because a lot of what I do is trying to answer the questions that I know you're going to ask. Not because, oh, I got to have an answer, but because then I can help you find the fun that you're looking for. So, like, mm-hmm. I know that you specifically love to learn about the world um, or, like, what's the political motivations of places? Even though your characters don't always. I know Sade yeah. is, like, what is the conflict happening in these places? Like, what is, yeah. what's the gist be- behind the scenes? So, I know who that's a question. Who? What's the hot be, like, boss? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what's the 411? What is everybody up to? <laughs> um, so, like, that's a question that even in an area, like, for instance, in our GURPS campaign right now, you're in, like, a small town but that small town even though it doesn't have like kingdom level issues it's got issues right like there is a conflict Mm -hmm. there in some form or another even in a peaceful state um there there are problems to to be had that people would talk about there there's conflict Mm -hmm. of some sort it might not be a war but there are interesting things happening so i try to think about who's gonna play in my game what's the shit that they're interested in because yeah any of the other stuff is just for me or unnecessary Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. i don't waste my time on the unnecessary until it becomes fun for me because like Mm -hmm. you you might not care about this this story that happened other like in another town that you've never been to or even heard of on Mm -hmm. the map but I do, so I can start answering that, and then one day you might go there and I have that thing. But if you're mm-hmm. not going to go there, and I don't care, why answer that question? Why is that mountain there? Because there's a fucking mountain there. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't waste your time on answering every single question. Answer the questions that are important to the game you're going to play. Yeah, because then if you if you give, like, a, a if like let's just say you come up with a great improvised, like, answer for that. If the players, like, if you give t- maybe too long of an answer, the players are going to be like oh that's important we need to speak that out and we're like oh shit no 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 that's not what i meant (laughs) i just wanted to prove i'm really cool and i could do that but now i have to change all my plans oh no it's a problem of my own creation exactly 100 true and like i i have that same issue when it comes to names of places because you guys know that often I, I do, like, I wouldn't say, like, Tolkien-esque stuff, but, like, I usually create a language in the world in between, yeah, like, yeah. In between the map stage and then planning the campaign. Um, yeah. I do some language research. It's usually based on a few different languages that I know a little bit about, like, tertiary stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then that, that helps me, because if I know there's a language in that area, that helps me with the culture of it all. Um, yeah. But the problem Definitely. with that is... Because I put thought into it, you're like, oh, this is important. And I'm like, no. You don't have to like, I- <laughs> Wait, how do you pronounce that? How do you spell it that way? Hold on. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, but like, alternatively, though, because you know I care about that stuff, when I do yeah. throw out a keyword, I see you all take note of it. Like, you're like, I know yeah. I can write this down confidently. Terry will bring this up again. You know, like, yeah. or, or if, if, I, if I were to look into this word, it means something. 
Um, yeah. So, like, I, I do find that interesting at the table. But conversely, I'm terrible with names. So if I Same. name somebody, like, a really good name, you all go, well, we gotta go talk to that character. Oh, we got uh, it. Because that's, he's terrible with names. Name. So if it's not yeah. Bert, then we know. <laughs> <laughs> but we adopted Bert, too. So you really, do. you're screwed. That's anyway, the thing. Like, also, now, because I've done that, you latch on to <laughs> people with, like, terrible names that are either improvised yeah. or quick. Um, in yeah. our last session, I had two brothers named Lloyd and Boyd, which weren't improvised <laughs> names. They existed, but because they were yeah. such boring names, you're like, oh, we're going to go visit their house first because we love yeah, the yeah, last yeah. boring NPC that we had. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God. So, like, the answer is you you can't, you can never win. <laughs> exactly. I swear, my, my players always latch on to the character that was not meant to be literally anything yep, ever. Every time. That's every, that's every, every time, campaign, man. Like... That's every camp. And then like the characters, like I, I try to create like, Oh, this NPC, I think they're really going to jive with because I'm basing this personality off of what I know this person likes this appearance of what I think this person likes. And I think they're going to really jive with them. They almost completely ignored the most important NPC for the first arc, because <laughs> I don't know what reason I thought I did a good job. Like, creating and tailoring this npc you were wrong to make them interesting <laughs> i was dead wrong and then i came up with an npc on the fly to like end the uh i think the second or third session on a cliffhanger and they're just like "Ooh, who is that what's his story and i'm like <laughs> oh crap <laughs> he didn't even have a name yet um so i gotta come up with that <laughs> what I learned, and this is not advice for everybody. This only really works at, at a table if it works at the table, right? Like, this is advice yeah. for my... If you ever GM my table, here's good advice for you. Um, if you want you want the players to latch onto a character, make them hot. And it doesn't oh, necessarily physically, but, like, if you can evoke here's... horniness, they will pursue that I... character. <laughs> I literally, the character at the end of this game... Like they didn't, I didn't even describe what they looked like. <laughs> it was just a vibe. They just, just assumed vibes. that it was just the way that I spoke in this NPC's <laughs> voice. So like, oh, we could tell he's like, really hot. And I'm just like, I mean, he's got to be now. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's it's the canon event. Now they're hot. Ah, um, uh, yep. Really. <laughs> So, so we've talked a little bit about like how we start, uh, what would mm -hmm. you say like your middle ground is when do you start to see the campaign start to take shape? Um, so you, you, we've talked about how we build our maps and where we start, like mm -hmm. I start with a short story, you start with your map after that, mm -hmm. when do you start putting together? Okay. This is the ABC of my big plot that like, if they need something to latch yeah. onto, that's not in the session, I can always come back to, here's the overarching yes. thing. When do you, when do you get there? Well, it's weird because I think that's my step zero before the map, mm -hmm. at least for this this first campaign or this the first campaign that I've like created a world for. Because the first campaign I ever DM'd, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was just making everything up and hoping that it worked. And it kind of did and it kind of didn't because that's just how uh, GMing and DMing works. But right. I had an idea for this campaign that I was really excited about based off of our two-part drow episode we did for slovenly trolls mm -hmm. and like how screwed up the drow were and i like my whole thing was like i want to create a campaign all about kind of not all about drow but about like the interpersonal conflicts that led to drow being how they are and i wanted to fix it so that was like the catalyst and i didn't quite know what that was until i started you know building the map 
and then interacting with like who the powers were and then I realized oh this is obviously the major power I already know their motivation because I still like wanted to tie in the drow and Lolth and all of like those interpersonal familial con conflicts that existed therein so it's not like a wholly original world I still use Forgotten Realms lore and stuff but I put my own spin on it so that's very very helpful for me because it's like I already know all these conflicts I know what I don't like about them and I want to put my own spin on it and kind of weave something into it and then by the time I was done with the map and the factions and like splitting up the landmass and figuring out where the most important places were and why they were important. I'm like, oh, I got it. Like, I've, I've got the main conflict. And then as soon as I got that, I started, um, like, vaguely pitching stuff to players, being like, this is the vibe I want to go for. Are you interested in this? This, like, what kind of characters are you thinking about playing? And then starting at that point, incorporating what the players wanted. Because I knew what I wanted, but I didn't want to, like, go 100% gung-ho with it unless I knew my players were going to be cool with it right and that that's one of the more difficult things to do no matter what style if you're going to build from scratch make your own system or just like tweaks like you said forgotten realms right the Mm -hmm. the thing that you have to throw in there as your world building if you're trying to do it for a campaign is you gotta feel out what they're interested in right for sure (laughs) like you can build this dark and gritty world where hobbits eat each other but if you (laughs) don't ask your players if they're into that (laughs) you might have some problems yeah you might be slowly (laughs) disappointed uh when uh you get to that table um yeah so so with i want to go back a little bit when it comes to when you're you're world building you're building your map um when did the conscious decision come into play of okay i'm gonna do this in D &D, so i'm gonna use forgotten realms lore and just tweak what i don't like about it um Mm -hmm. when did when did that kind of come into your mind I mean, it. I think it was there from the beginning because I I wasn't sure if I was 100% confident enough to just be like, I'm going to do drow, but my way, but they're going to be called dark elves mm-hmm. or like, mm-hmm. you know, something completely different because I knew we were going to be using fifth edition. Like I already knew that because it's the system I know best. It's the system I am most comfortable GMing in, especially for like, I run campaigns for like three plus years. So, like, I want to be confident and comfortable in the system that I'm using. So we've been using 5th edition since the first campaign I ran. So it just kind of lends itself to that. But I never really screwed around with any of the Forgotten Realms lore really at all because we didn't have the podcast when I started (laughs) DMing. And so I know a lot more about it. And I'm like, I'm a huge fan of how the Critical Role world is. And that's how the first campaign that I ran was in it. And it was kind of Pathfinder and Forgotten Realms adjacent, but Mm -hmm. with, like, a little bit of Matt Mercer's like original plot therein. And I'm like, I can do that. Like I know exactly how to do that. Cause I've watched a lot of critical role. I've played in the Taldori campaign setting. I know, I think exactly the right measurements, I guess you could say in this like cauldron of homebrew right? to put in, to be like, I know I'm comfortable building this world. And if I don't know something, I know exactly where I can draw stuff from. And be finding your comfort zone as a DM while you're homebrewing stuff is so important because it can get really overwhelming really fast. So finding what you're comfortable, like taking uh, taking stuff from, because you're always going to take stuff from something else regardless, because that's just how the creative process works most of the time. So finding that like little concoction came pretty early on, I think, once I knew like this is what the main plot is and this is what I want to fix in the Forgotten Realms and 
while this isn't the forgotten realm that's going to operate the same way in xyz kind of vibes 100 so like one thing i would say like as like uh, turning that into a tip a little bit is when you're going to go hey we're going to start this new game let's start building our world figure out what level you want to world build at like Mm -hmm. uh i'm going to use this game systems which works best if i use this game systems lore so i need to justify this game systems lore that that that's a step and that that's that's one way to go okay if that's the level i'm doing that's a great place to start so like know if you're like if you're going to be cribbing something entirely like that or if you're like i'm going to use the system but i'm gonna homebrew a lot of it or i'm going to reskin it all uh Mm -hmm. so so you know it has to fit these stats but it doesn't have to fit that aesthetic or are you making something 100 from scratch because Mm If you if you build the entire world and then try to shove your game into something Oof. else, like yeah. that's a thing that I did for a long time because I only knew about D and D for a long time yeah. until I was like mm-hmm. you know eighteen nineteen because um, I started playing D and D fifteen sixteen um, and then trying to shove stuff into D and D was really hard because uh, so much of it is like intrinsically linked. Like the biggest thing, especially for a fantasy setting, is magic. If uh, mm-hmm. if you if your magic <laughs> doesn't fit to the the yeah. magic system the levels of it you you break D D. it doesn't work at all <laughs> yeah you know you can change the names of the d of the deities or names of the spells but if it doesn't fit you know your spell levels um you know the the magic casting then you mm-hmm. can't play with that game so like uh, exactly so yeah. knowing which level you're going to go into when it comes to building your world i think is really important uh so so we've talked about maps we've talked a little bit about like how we get started and what our next steps are um to bring it back around to the earlier question about as you fit like your plot in there your abc of like the bigger plot how much does that affect your actual world building like are you building that plot out first like you said it's like your step zero and then you kind of make a world that fits that Mm -hmm. or do you start to marry those two a little bit earlier on uh which which kind of takes precedent for you hmm I think I knew as soon as I figured out what the main conflict was, I it helped fill in a lot of the other gaps that I was running into, like what the factions were, mm-hmm. whose allegiance was where. As soon as I knew what the major plot was, it answered so many of those questions. Like it that, at fair. least for yeah. me. So, yeah. I'm like this this person is going to this is their major goal. And these are the people helping them achieve it. And then, but this person who's also involved, they have their own motivation. And, you know, figuring out all those interpersonal conflicts of what's going on in the background. And it, it just informed everything for me. I don't want to say what it is in case one of <laughs> right. my you players are listening. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, it really did. Like, it it really helped because the, the people involved in this are gods. And which is a pretty big staple in D and D, and also a lot of TTRPGs is just gods fuck with everything. Um, <laughs> so figuring that out and figuring how exactly they fucked with everything just helped fill in the blanks for all the other conflicts that existed therein. And like you said, like if the players aren't jiving with a subplot or if it seems to be at a standstill or you need something to judge something else up, I know exactly what point they're at in this main overarching plot. Let's bring that in. 
Yeah, it's a great way to fall back. So that's another tip I would recommend is even if you're just even if you're building like a sandbox campaign, have an overarching A, B, and C plot for the world. So mm-hmm. so you can fall back and mention a detail of that as a plot hook whenever you need to, because it's really mm-hmm. helpful. Plus, like it makes your world feel alive if those gears are turning even when you, even when, when your players aren't at the table doing things or not doing the main thing. Um, mm-hmm. To me, I think that that does a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Like when you stand a player, like, sure. oh wow, that part's really cool, and I'm like, well, that's the part I knew about. Like that's the easy part. That's the yeah. thing I wrote. So I just, yeah. you know, every once in a while, I think you've probably noticed, I'll throw in that NPC that drops like the news. Like yeah, this thing, yeah, yeah. this event happened, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, exposition because it's usually unrelated to what you're all doing. Uh, yeah. but it's the news that the world is still turning while you're not there at mm-hmm. the table. Um, mm-hmm. so having like a village crier know some shit that the players <laughs> don't give a shit about is fun because there'll be that one player. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to follow up on that. And someone will be like, oh, shut up. Like we got to go talk <laughs> to that hot guy over there. And uh, then also <laughs> like building off of that, making your, like, if your players give you a really rich backstory that like lends itself to the lore of your world, like if you're lucky enough to do that, like with most of my players they 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 help build part of my world like I had one player really helped me figure out um something that was going on with some minor deities I had another player help me build the magic school I had another player help me with uh social media and uh fucking tabloid system and <laughs> astrology so like every one of them in some way shape or form helped me build the world and you know help you know get them more invested in stuff and, you know, in thanks for that, I also, I have stuff going on in the backgrounds of their backstories that sometimes they don't interact with right away. And that is also going on in the background because I'm like, oh, you you have family members that were struck with a very deadly illness and you haven't gone to check on them in two years? Oh, yikes. <laughs> well, um, well, uh, I know what's going on with that. Uh, jury's out on what's going to happen when you finally go back, you know? <laughs> I, I love doing that. I think that's partly why to as as like a writer outside of like D and D games, why I focus on the whole short storiness of it all because that's the way and short stories in quotation because you know many are much longer, but mm-hmm. that's the way that my my brain works is in narratives. So if I don't know what's happening in another part of the world, but I have a story that helps me flesh out all the other parts. And that's why I work so, so well with the storiness of everything is, Oh, mm-hmm. that's a story. Like uh, a session that we have is an episode of television. It is a story onto itself. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes that's more meta. Like you're playing in a game right now where like there is a meta narrative of the things that you do are stories. Um, yeah. But sometimes it's just way more literal. Like, like it's a thing that happened um, that someone would tell as a story. And to write that story for myself, I have to answer all the questions that would help the world building, right? Like, you know, setting, mm-hmm. theme, like who are the characters mm-hmm. involved? And then you just kind of let it proliferate from there. Like a, you know, pebble hitting the water. Cause if you're writing a short story of this town somewhere else, well, you got to know who's there, who are they related yep. to? What's the industry yep. of that place? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I do that like, you know, 40 times and then you have a world. 
Um, yeah. it's, it's really not as complicated as it sounds. I know that sounds crazy. If you don't have my, my certain type of autism, then maybe it's a problem for you. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not going to say that you have to do that to, to do the world building, but my brand of world building, that's what I do. And to mm-hmm. me, that makes a really mythical world. Um, because not only is that a narrative that's helped you go, okay, I understand what the political system is in this town or this kingdom, but you also, if you put it into that story shape, you can give that story, maybe change the way it's told a little bit to a actual character and it can be Mm -hmm. a legend in the world. It can be a news item that's that, you know, some village crier is going off of. It can be a whisper that kids tell around a campfire in game. And Mm -hmm. it makes your world feel so much more lived in. And it just helps so much when they go to talk to somebody at a bar who like, you now have to improvise entire thing where it's like, let's just the old dude tell stories. And you know, the stories (laughs) because you made them up Um, a lot easier than having to always flirt with your friends, in my opinion. But, uh, well, sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes they want to flirt with somebody you did not find attractive when you made them. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it's not always the easiest way to ghost that's why like i i find the story thing is my cheat code because it fits into so many different uh ways of filling in holes for the world building what's your cheat code what's your thing where you're like this is what makes it super easy for me well here's the thing it's never easy Um, (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it is it is but it isn't and i think it's just different it's different every session but how i go about it is i have like you know every big major plot point every big major place basically fleshed out but i also build as i go because Mm -hmm. everything can change in an instant with my players specifically like they get and i think any gm can relate to this so when i'm (laughs) building a world for them to play in i am also building a world for them to destroy so it it i try to have depending on where they're going like only building around them in a very specific area and then obviously having the stuff i've already built but um only doing it piece by piece because thankfully they don't have teleport yet and i want to take advantage of that um as often as i can but as soon as they get teleport i know i'm screwed and i'm gonna have to like build up a lot more stuff going up in the background but in terms of world building stuff i kind of just there's this really great chapter in the dm's guide that's like on page nine or ten that gives you these this for D &D, um that gives you but i think it can it can go into it could go into like novel writing really i use this in my dissertation to like talk about world building in just terms of fantasy writing in general there are like seven things in the dm's guide in D that it outlines it's the world spectrum gods maps settlements languages and dialects factions and magic and as long as you have the answers to that quest those questions and those like specific areas in in any area you go into you'll be fine because yeah, like, it that's a really provides a really good go. outline because so if you answer if you... all those it fits into the D of it all right like exactly you have those answers or those questions answered you could mm-hmm. play D in your setting yeah exactly but i also think it applies to any game setting like the world spectrum is just like how old is the world what are the conflicts the gods is just religion maps is exactly what it says on the tin settlements is like what kind of social groups exist and you know what's in the culture what's outside the culture languages and dialects 
factions exist in any world. Magic, you have to decide whether or not your world has magic. And if it does, what are the rules of it? So going back to that list and making sure that everything kind of fits in those boxes, you have an outline. And then I start fleshing out that outline Mm -hmm. in whatever area that my players are in, which most of those boxes are already checked, like languages and dialects, it's covered by D&D, magic covered by D&D. So like the factions and the gods and all that other stuff, just making sure it aligns in that specific area. And then by the time you're like a year or two into your campaign, you have a really, really good fleshed out world, hopefully also helped with your players, like encouraging them to also help you build it has been a really good tool for me because it gets them invested and it also takes some of the weight off my shoulders. <laughs> and that's we've mentioned that everything. on like uh, several of our other DM episodes is like you know, the the duct tape rule, which is like it only needs to look good with where the players are. Uh, like yeah. like you kind of talking about like build the ship as it's traveling down in the water. Like that's okay, mm-hmm. but it's also helpful because then you can lean on your players to fill in the gaps and make everything mm-hmm. look cool take some of the heavy lifting off of you and that goes for the world building as well i think that that's really important and like you said i think that that's really important too is that it gives them ownership and it makes them more invested which i Mm -hmm. I call these things cheat codes like it's cheating but i think that they're integral like that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing at my table Uh, past everything else is do you care because if you care, yeah. then you'll find your own fun. You'll find your own story. You'll help me, you know, flush it out for everybody else. And it's more of like a general like GM DM thing. But if you can get your players to not only care about the setting, but care about the characters in the setting, like the other people, like their place in it. Like, uh, for instance, Sharday's character was part of like a cult slash coven. And people don't just care about the cult. They care about Sharday coming from that place and what mm. it did to her character and how she's informed by it. So they're not only just interested in hearing more about that place. They're interested in how she cares about it, um, mm-hmm. which is just like this awesome fucking um, Ouroboros that feeds into every game we play um, that like I just sometimes get to watch you guys talk to people because you're trying to find out more information for each other um, mm-hmm. and for the story. And I just answer questions sometimes. <laughs> I just kind of sit yeah. back. Um, yeah, but like with the world building, like you said, if you can get them to build a part of it, well, they're they're not gonna want to fucking light it on fire or ignore it because they made exactly that like, hey, what what kind of stuff is in your hometown? I'm building this map. What what is this? Like, what what kind of points are in there? So that if another character tries to burn down somebody else's hometown, they are more likely to stop them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, So I guess wrapping this up when it comes to our little world building lecture, I know it's not as spectacular as some of our other ones. We'll definitely do more. But those are some of our general tips and like what we do when it comes to world building. Um, Is there anything else that you think would be quick tips? Anything that you're like, this was super helpful uh, when you world build? Mm hmm. Um, I highly, highly recommend the, the DM guide on like page nine or 10 on D and D and having that outline and starting from there. If you're somebody who likes taking things in bits and pieces or having like a checklist, oh my God, it's so, it is so helpful. Um, 
and it doesn't just you don't just need it for D&D they probably are also have tips like that in other systems that I'm just not familiar with so if you have a system you like or that you want to DM in see if they have like a section about like how do you make this world your own or how do you build a homebrew world or something they might have it in there and it, it could be super useful you don't need to just go into it blind so that's top of the list and then the other thing is just take it step by step like it, it can be very overwhelming but if you just figure out what you want to do and then like make a list and start checking it off kind of like with that world spectrum stuff that helped me a lot like don't just look at it as like I'm creating this world from scratch and everything is got to be wholly original and it's going to come from my brain hole and all of this stuff. It can be very overwhelming. And I still get overwhelmed all the time because once you answer one question, when you're building a world, you have at least 20 other ones that you have to answer. Um, so sifting through those, just taking them one at a time and then taking a step back saying, okay, how likely is it is, that my players are going to interact with this this day? And then if you're wrong and they do interact with it, um, don't feel bad about that <laughs> because you didn't have that prepared. Just figure it out later it's okay <laughs> you're playing a game have fun with it building a world can be and should be fun too it's part of the game 100%. so do what do what is fun for you and make sense for you and that's what i would say too is like find the fun like uh i'll get into like my full list of tips but on that note of finding the fun like write down those questions don't force yourself to answer those questions immediately write them down yeah so then when you're looking you're like i kind of want to build the world today like that's what i want to mess around with look at your list of mm -hmm. questions and answer the one that seems fun whether that's drawing mm -hmm. the map because it's like what does this country look like or it's like oh yeah i said that there was a deity that liked wolves question mark <laughs> what does that mean and you, you know you just sit there and you ponder it so write down those questions but don't try to answer them immediately answer them when it's fun to answer them um so my my quick one is do the short story thing it doesn't have to be as intense as someone who who writes every day um but like you know write you know a, a paragraph of this area tell a quick little fun story in it and keep them save them because you can insert them wherever and like i said that's my cheat code because it pops up everywhere the other thing i do that i would say is another cheat code um, that again, it's probably it's probably easier if you have my specific brand of neuro spiciness, but, uh, I really like lists and, uh, census, uh, are, are super, super helpful for me. So I just make censuses, censusi, censuses, censuses, but I make a census for different towns and I also make uh, almost like a little bestiary for all the different areas. So if I'm in the mood to come up with creatures or figure out what creatures are in what place, depending on the setting, I just pick an area and I go, okay, what creatures are here? And that is super helpful in like 15 different ways. But the two biggest ones I'll mention is A, if you want to have a random encounter, you already have that table ready to go. And B, if you like want to have characters, no knowledge or like they'll go and talk to somebody, you can roll a dice and be like, yeah, this wolf attacked or it's like it's like an instant plot hook without putting in a lot of effort. You just you know what exists there and, and it can be a super good tool for you. And then on the census side, when it comes to like characters, 
that can help you with world building because you put down, oh, Jeffrey Smythe lives in this mining town. Because <laughs> you put, mm-hmm. I, I put names, family, occupation, age, shit like that. So you just answered like 15 different questions for your world building. Like, okay, so Jeffrey's a miner. Well, that means there's got to be mines nearby. What are they mining? How did that industry impact it? Who owns the mine? Who's Jeffrey mm-hmm. dating? You know, do they have children? Uh, okay, they have children with whom? And, you know, and you just, it, again, it proliferates from there. So a census is just this little list that just slowly starts to answer billions of questions. Plus, yeah. now you have it conveniently in an Excel sheet. So when you forget the name that you improv. <laughs> <laughs> how many times oh, do i ask you after session started hey what was that character's name it has nothing to do with oh what's God. happening at the time yeah. but i'm like but it might one day <laughs> no yeah a hundred i think that's also a good tip to have in general if you're dming gming find an organizational system oh yeah fucking organize that shit make lists <laughs> When, especially when you're homebrewing and world building, like having, I have a Google Drive folder just with so many diff, like it's broken up into like, oh, here's the geography, here is the Pantheon, here is a list of NPCs that the characters have run into so far that I always forget to update because I also <laughs> have to ask my players who that one character was that I improved. Um, here, I also have a, this is probably, I haven't used it very much, but I am very excited to use it. I have a list in Google Docs because I love, I run a campaign online and I I hate not having to, I can't do handouts because I don't do in-person games. I love a handout so much because it gives something tangible to the players and it's just, uh, it breaks my heart every time. But I still like type out letters and I still like um, design maps and stuff for the players to have in their own Google folders or to store however way they want we have a discord server that i put them all in as well i have this master list of different npcs handwriting in different fonts and that just that just tickles my world building like peach a little bit because i just like one day i'm gonna i know i'm gonna have an npc write a note and they're not gonna sign it and then i want somebody i don't know if they will but like the information will be there for them like it's going to be in that font that i've used for that npc yes 100 like that's i know you didn't play in in my cthulhu game but that's mm-hmm. what i did for that and hell yeah you'd be surprised how little work it takes and how much the players get out of it um yeah i remember the first game i ever ran for you it was like a little one shot and like a lot of the players weren't into D. they learned they weren't into D during that one shot but you and one other player were like oh i like that you made a puzzle that wasn't just something you would see in a video game like you made an actual puzzle like it's a mystery yeah. it's not just a puzzle box it was like yeah. oh there's a language and we can we you had something tangible to hold on to it was digital but like it was like oh i can look yeah, at this image still. and yeah i that and then you know it's important too when you, when you get handed something you're like oh i know this is something whereas puzzles can be very hard to pull off sometimes especially in theater of the mind especially in online games like i have developed kind of a hatred of most puzzles i think because of this i think i like them a lot more in person because you can like draw things out and you can like have the handouts and finding a way to put that into digital is difficult. So when I saw you do it really well in digital, I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I love this puzzle and I hate puzzles. It made, <laughs> so, that's what, it made me great. so happy because like I knew you hated it and you were the one that yeah. latched onto it most. I was like, this is a good puzzle. Then I got to write this one yeah, down. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, Charday. Charday liked the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> the puzzle. But like that was, 
and I think it's not so much that like those that that puzzle was better than other puzzles, but similar to you, I don't like just the nebulous puzzles. The the yeah, advice that most same. people give is like, well, just make one up and like don't have an answer for it, which can go a long way for some players. I think that yeah. that just doesn't quite scratch the ish the same way that we we yeah. were able to play, but. I do that sometimes, yeah. but I have to, I have to have it. You have to have a reason for not having the answer. Don't just like, like get a puzzle from online, have an answer and be like, no, it'll just be the the answer that the players have. Like, no, 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 no. Like it's, you have to have a reason behind wanting to challenge the players in that way. Right. And it has to make, it has to make sense for the current situation. Because if you, do, sometimes the players will get very understandably either annoyed or just frustrated because they're not getting the puzzle right away. And because you don't know what the answer is, you can't help them. Really. That's what, like, and... I never do Indiana Jones or Uncharted puzzles. I always do mm-hmm. Agatha Christie, right? Like, it's a, it's a mystery yeah. that needs to be solved. I like mystery. Yeah, mysteries are better. Yeah, yes, for sure. Exactly. And I way. think that's why we, we like those ones a little bit better. That yes. doesn't mean that they're better. I mean, it does. No, no, but... no. no. <laughs> <laughs> for us, they're better. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah exactly so there's a little bonus tip for you before we go um so i have a little bit of a spiel Sharde. so before spiel. i get into everything um you can find us at campykillcreations.com we got lots of cool stuff over there all of our other podcasts uh comic books lots of stuff over there for free if you want to drop a buck or two you can head on over to patreon.com slash campy killed creations you get early content bonus content uh you get this show early you get lore rewrites from Charday, um uh, making problematic DD contact uh less problematic uh and just cooler uh some good art from me sometimes sometimes bad art from me but there's art on it always um <laughs> you get slovenly trolls after dark which is a little bonus content behind the scenes stuff uh if you want to hear Charday and lissa talk about things they didn't talk about in the episode uh you get that over there too so go over and check that out if you want to support us you can find this show on twitter uh at cave trolls pod uh, it's run by lissa so you can bother her over there if you want to because you <laughs> won't find her anywhere else uh you can email us at campykillcreations at gmail.com and that's about it for the general plug. So, Sharday, where can the people find you? I am the best half of the Slovenly Trolls podcast where we talk about the problematic stuff in D&D and their history, their lore, etc. And we figure out where it came from and encourage people to do better at their tables. And we do that monthly. And then I also run the Slovenly Trolls Twitter at Slovenly Trolls and also sometimes the TikTok but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I haven't posted in like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I when, you, when the content started popping, it was like, if you follow somebody new on TikTok, other people probably know this, but I forget sometimes that it just like will feed yeah. you their content. It's like, oh, you like their yep. stuff. Here's their older stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Sharday's popping, like doing a lot of content. And then I looked at the date. I was like, no, she's not. No, she's no, not. not. She's not. That was from weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but you had me going for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm also on the TikTok, uh, at can't be killed comics. Uh, you can follow me over there. You can follow me at resident Stevel or better yet at can't be killed creations. Uh, no CBKC comics is what I am on Twitter 
uh, at Campy Kill Creations or at Campy Kill Comics. Both of them are over on Instagram. Uh, you can email about comic stuff at campykillcreations at gmail.com. The Twitter, the Twitter and the TikTok are where I am most active. It's mostly comic book content. So if you follow this more for the Cave Trolls stuff, go follow the Cave Trolls Twitter. I did have a message about like, oh, do you do a lot of D&D content? Not on those profiles. <laughs> That's not <what> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Uh, so I really appreciate it. They were really honest. They were like, oh, and they, they unfollowed me and followed the Cave Trolls pod. <laughs> 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 so that was really funny. Uh, I appreciated the honesty. So so there's that. Um, speaking of comics, I do got to do uh, one of my plugs for my upcoming comic book. It's on Zoop.gg. We mentioned it earlier in the show. Zoop is like Kickstarter, but for comic books only. Uh, super easy and convenient. You just go sign on. And uh, you kind of add things to a cart, which is way different than most Kickstarters. So mm-hmm. you kind of grab whichever tier for whatever project you're doing. And then the add-ons that a lot of tiers have. So you can buy like a you get the issue of the comic book, but maybe you want their their art print that they did, their little poster. You just add that to the add-ons, and you can back several at once if you want to, and just put it all in your cart. Uh, the reason why I mention that is most crowdfunding campaigns do not do that, um, and that was the reason why I went with Zoop. So it was it was really cool and convenient to shop for multiple things. Uh, you know, go for your Wednesday comic book. So that's the Zoop ad for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but to get on to my comic book. So me and Sky Hawkins, we got together and we really liked the Studio Trigger, uh, animes. So if you've ever seen Promare or, uh... Uh, a million other ones. Have you ever heard of Studio Trigger, Sharday? I know you're a gigantic anime fan. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Oh, <laughs> Surprising, oh my, absolutely oh my no goodness. one. <laughs> Promare is one of like my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but they they've done other things. Let me bring up a list. Have you ever heard of Gurren Lagann? Yes, I have heard. Oh, of Oh, okay. So Studio Trigger did Gurren Lagann. Um, okay, 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 okay. That really awesome, like, hyper-stylized anime style. They also did the cyberpunk uh, anime, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, that's on Netflix, which I highly oh, recommend. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so if you like Promare or you like Edge Runners and you wanted to marry the two, that's our comic mm. book, Tokyo Fire. <laughs> that's Hell the backdoor yeah. pitch for you. So if you like those two things, marry those with kind of like the gorillas art style. Sky has one of the most... Uh, uh, I would say unique art styles I'd ever seen in comics. It kind of marries mm-hmm. that anime aesthetic with the Western uh, style. The Gorillas uh, music videos, if you like those, that's basically Sky's style uh, mm-hmm. with a little of his own uh, spin on it. So the whole idea is you have these two brothers who are down and out thieves, you know, street urchins, the Aladdin types, and mm-hmm. they're just trying to steal shit to get by and get out of lower tokyo which is this like irradiated futuristic slum everyone's either addicted to vr or just dying in the gutter so they they boost bikes and stuff from upper tokyo to get enough money to get out and their mentor who races said bikes <laughs> like the stolen merchandise um is finally winning enough to where they might earn enough to escape and they have to pull one last job to pay off their debts so they can leave. And, of course, it goes crazy from there. There are cops with superpowers, criminals with superpowers, uh, revolutions happening. There are the government conspiracies. It, it goes crazy from there. Uh, but I was super excited to work on it. This is only issue one. As soon as we get this crowdfunded on Zoop, we're going to do seven issues. You'll be able to buy it as a graphic novel at the end of it. Our goal is $3,000. 
dollars, which is a lot. But as we talked about earlier in the show, printing comic books is so fucking expensive. Expensive. <laughs> it is. It is so ridiculous. You can get the PDF for five bucks when it goes live in August. We'll have a big ad there. August fifteenth, I think, is our go live date. So if you liked any of the words I said, you can go check out Tokyo Fire on Zoop.gg. Uh, and if you want like a preview of it, we have a five-page preview with a bunch of cool covers and a little extra write-up on campykillcreations.com slash comics. Uh, Sharday, again, I know you love anime. I know you love Studio Trigger. Are you excited? Yeah. You also love comic books, too. So are you <laughs> just super into Tokyo Fire? Are you all in on this? I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I hope somebody believes that. And I hope they're like, oh, well, Sade's in, so I'm in. Because I know you have great influence <laughs> over people. So I'm an influencer, yeah. <laughs> help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. <laughs> but uh, that is my spiel for Tokyo Fire. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we've been the Cave Trolls, and we're sorry. Uh, and we're out. Um, and, uh, we're done, Sharday. So you can go ahead and say all of your heated gamer words if you want to now. <laughs> I, <laughs> you scared me for a minute. <laughs> Did you actually think I was going to say something? No, not necessarily, but you don't normally say anything after I say that. And you immediately started talking. I was like, oh no, I need to hit the records again. We had that special time where we get to thank our Patreon producers. Right now we have Kim Winson. Jeremy Raymond, the Lorax, and Trellbot. Thank you so much for helping us keep the lights on, the mics rolling. You keep chicken sandwiches in our pockets, and you keep us having fun on the mic. Thank you so much. <laughs>